0: that people that sit underneath my teaching and preaching might themselves go to places that I, myself, will never go. And that's kind of where I have uh, lived, and that's where I am at now. And so we have begun Missions Month. I I don't know, Patty, can they steal the cards off this? Is that rippable, or do you just leave them there? All right, yeah, this is the only time we're telling you to steal in church, all right? You just go up there and take one. We have books in the back. We're going to flood Uh, information your direction we're going to give you opportunities to go Um, we're going to give you opportunities to pray we're going to give you opportunities to give Uh, we're just going to be all in on this thing and just to be frank with you as far as my heart goes I do not want to be a part of a church that doesn't do missions. one because I'm not going to dance around the the whole biblical corpus that is revealing God's heart for that kind of work but what are we gathering for, if not the mission of God and the worship of God? So, see all that. Uh, we, we've worked in missions for years, whether it's in college ministry or going ourselves. And so, uh, kind of as a lead in, just to kind of give you a little bit of what I want to do. I, I, want, um, I want to do missions almost exclusively in the next couple of weeks from the Old Testament. So this is going to be a two-part series of just talking. Uh, I know we want to run to the New Testament, but I want to go to the Old Testament And to show you that missions was not a New Testament endeavor, but God's heart all along. Uh, Before we do, uh, because uh, I've had uh, for work that I've done and stuff, I've had to fly quite a bit. And so even when we were going up to Michigan, um, if you've flown before, you have to go through TSA and through their checkpoint. I love our airport here because it's like a mom and pop shop up there. All right. They just, just, just go. Just go on the plane, all right? Um, I think getting on the Silverton Durango train may have more checkpoint than ours, and I love that. It's easy, all right? And, but it's, it's weird because if you've traveled with kids, and some of my kids have been born overseas, and they've traveled with us overseas, it is always a task getting your kids uh, through the TSA check, and you can be afraid that at any given point... Uh, we might get tased by the police, all right? And so I'm just like, do not get us federally arrested as we go through this screening thing. And my kids, by and large, are amazing at going through that because they've just done it so much that they just know. It's like, oh, i got to take this off. I can't you know, be wielding a sword, all right? Uh, as they've gotten older, the, the potential for them to have a knife on them going through that thing is, like, increased. But by and large, it is. The last time we went through TSA... With my kids, I just look to him, just to remind them, hey, you, you ain't got nothing in your pockets. Right. No, we're good. It's good. We go through the thing, and I mean, like, every light in the whole TSA thing, like, goes off. Just sound the alarm. Like, they, they motion the president to get involved with this. Like, so they pull Deacon over, and they begin to scan him. And sure enough, he has $42 worth of coins in his pocket. <laughs> just packing, you know. Don't know what we're going to run into in Guatemala, but I got $42 in quarters just weighing my shorts down. I'm like, bro, what are you thinking? And when you go through it, uh, I don't know if you've ever been through TSA, have you noticed that they're not the same? Like some places you go, they make you take your shoes off, some places they don't. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you got to take your belt off, sometimes you don't. Um, sometimes you, 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 know, you got to take your hat off or sometimes you can leave your jewelry on. This government agency in different places works differently. We flew into Green Bay to go up to Michigan, and I had these other brothers with us. And Green Bay is like one beautiful, but their airport was kind of like Drake. It's nice, like smooth sailing, like the machines. They everybody up there was kind, which blows me away, because I think everybody north of the Mason-Dixie is Yankees, and they're all rude. So these people up in Wisconsin, I don't know, maybe they're, maybe they're an exception here. And it's the cheese. Um, And so and they're like, hey, you don't got to take your shoes off. You ain't got to do this. Just come on through. Super nice. My buddy commented, it's like this is like the most awesome TSA experience I've ever had. It's like, why can't they all be this way? And so I snarkily, if you know me, looked at him, I said, see, Tyler, that's your problem. You expect the government to be consistent. And the TSA agent behind me never missed a beat. And he looked at me and says, and there, buddy, that's where you're wrong. And I was like, right here, gets it. You can go from one TSA place to another, and it's not consistent. And I feel like we come to the Bible, and because of some wrong theology, we see God doing things in the New Testament, and we see God doing things in the Old Testament, And we are tempted to believe that He is inconsistent. You will even hear people argue that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. And which, whenever people say that, that makes me know that they don't understand neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament. So here's here's where I want to come at. Unlike our government, God is incredibly consistent. And I want to pull one thread in the Old Testament to show you missions, I could pull ten other threads and preach ten other sermons about missions in the Old Testament. I ain't got to run to the New Testament. This is how saturated your Bible is with God's heart for the nations. And so, I want to, uh, this week, next week, especially do a two-part series, two punches at you about God's heart from the nations from the Old Testament. All right, but before we do, can we just pray and ask for God's help as we get into it? Dear Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The whole earth. All the earth. May knowledge of you fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. And may you use this church and my brothers and sisters to pour some of that water of knowledge of yourself on the earth. Uh, we come and we ask for you to pastor us and to be the teacher that God you would cause us to hear the Macedonian call to come God I believe in my heart there are people in our church here and joining us online that you are going to call to cross cultural international nation reaching missions They're going to hear the Macedonian call to Indonesia, to Tanzania, to Cambodia, to Nepal. They're going to hear the Macedonian call to Kazakhstan. And they are going to leverage their lives so that a current people group that is unreached becomes reached. And there's a church family that loves like this church family in a place where it doesn't currently exist. You're going to cause those things that be not to become as they are. And you're going to use weak vessels like us. That's my belief, God. And so I come asking for that, begging for that, wanting to preach like that because of the promises and the truths I see in Scripture. And so God, keep your word, keep your word by continuing the mission and finishing the mission and using your church to do the impossible. God, we ask and come pleading for you to be consistent and don't overlook us as you've used saints in the past. Use us. We beg that and ask that you'd use our time in the word to, to pull it off. So move stony hearts that are here. Raise up young people that are here. Convince our older saints they're not done. Convince us in the middle that life is about more than money. Do glorious things, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. So I want to teach what the Bible is going to affirm, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here is the wrong understanding that I want to go at the jugular of, and that is that missions is a plan B New Testament invention of God that spurred up at the teachings of Jesus. And I know our tendency is going to be to run a run to the Great Commission Which is a motto of my life. I love the Great Commission and I love my Jesus. But I think there is a misinformation that comes to us when we start there. And then we don't see what God has been doing all along to roll out the red carpet. And invite the nations to come and be his people. So the Great Commission is great and it's easy. But I think that I want to attack some of our unfamiliarity with the Old Testament. In particular, I think many of us suffer from a dispensationalist theology that tries to separate the New Testament and Old Testament. Do you realize that that separation in many ways is artificial? I do not like the separation. Because here, let me even like throw it at you like this Is John the Baptist Old Testament or New Testament? Yes. (laughs) Jesus. That's that one time the Sunday school answer doesn't work. You can't yell Jesus at all of them, all right? But there's, that gets tricky, right? We have got this separation in our mind that can often be unhelpful for understanding all of redemptive history as cohesive. Are you tracking with me so far? And I think that this idea of like even church in Israel, Old Testament, New Testament, plan A was Israel and plan B was the Gentiles is missing what is clear in the text. So that's a premise. I put my cards on the table. I want to look at, particularly, the life of Abraham. But before I do, just to give you a little bit of argument that the Jews in the Old Testament were already doing missions, I want to turn here to Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is Jesus speaking. Hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert. And when he becomes a proselyte or convert you make him twice the child of hell as you yourselves are. Now, one thing we would note is they're traveling over land and sea to win converts. I mean, that's that's missions. Now, argue I'm going to agree with Jesus. They, wrong motivation, doing it wrong. I mean, like Mormons, you're twice the sons of hell that, that you're making them into. But do you understand that the Jews were already doing international cross-cultural missions before Jesus instigated or inaugurated the Great Commission. Otherwise, the teaching makes no sense. Where do they get that kind of theology? Okay, so go to the next slide. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12, looking at 1 through 3. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Into the life of Father Abraham. And if you've been in Sunday school, you know he has many sons. Many sons as Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So let's just let's just praise the Lord, y'all. Man, that'll preach, won't it, Randy? That's good. Now, the Lord said to Abram. Alright, so he's got this other name. Go from your country, get out, leave. The call of Abraham was a call to leave. Matter of fact, they're going to call him the first Hebrew. The word Hebrew means wanderer. Uh, which is where Tolkien's going to pick up that not all who wander are lost. You ever heard that? That's from Lord of the Rings. That's not from the Bible. But he picks that up from Hebrew, which means wander. And the Bible would describe Abraham, Father Abraham, as my father was a wandering Arminian. Abraham was a Gentile. He's from Ur of the Chaldees, and God called him from a Gentile land and called him to himself as the man of God, the man of faith. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. God, where are we going? No, no, no. Believe me, trust me, and then I'll show you. Take your first step of belief, and when we get there, we get there. feels like me explaining to my kids every time we get in the car. And I will make you a great nation. All right, I'm going to that. And I will bless you and make your name great. Now, I'm going to argue that this is actually pointed at Jesus in Abraham biologically, which I'll get into that in the next passage, but hang with me. So that you will be a blessing. The blessings of God to the people of God were never meant to terminate on us. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. Do you see it? I Let me put it to you a different way. I have never seen a church that's healthy that focuses entirely on itself. By the way, I've never seen a Christian that's healthy that focuses Entirely on themselves. Self centeredness is toxic for our spiritual life. To only think about, be consumed with, and spend money on ourselves is absolutely toxic for us. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. Amen? This is why, Dennis, we're going to give as much money as we possibly can to benevolence. Right? Randy's on the mission team. We're going to give as much money as we can at this church to missions. We want to support, we want to be ridiculous in how we support our local ministries. Right? And we think that's a good church. Not hoarding, right? Building bigger barns. But giving. That's true for an individual Christian and that is true for the people of God. You are blessed So that you will be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those that bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you. So this is the call of Abraham. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. All. In you. There's something in you. Which I'm going to argue is Christ in Abraham. In his seed. Which we're going to get into in chapter 17. In Jesus Every people group on the earth is going to be blessed. And that's exactly what our sister was telling us about. There are ethnic, linguistic groups, some 17,000 ethnic groups that we define as people groups. And every single one of them is going to have a tithe of people that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. They will be with you in heaven. This is an Old Testament, from the beginning, intention of your God. Families of the earth, the Japanese, the Hutus, the Tutsis, the Choctaws, the Southern Utes. These are not nations in the sense of borders. These are people groups. These are families of the earth. God says, I'm calling you, Abraham. And your calling is not about you. It's about Jesus. And it's not just going to stop there. But because it's about Jesus, he is king of kings and lord of all the earth. That's the God you sing to when you walk into this room. He is not the local deity of Bayfield. The earth is his. Okay. So you may not be... Genesis 17. Let's keep going. We're going to stay with Abraham here. Uh, Genesis chapter 17. Let's look at 1 through 5. In case you didn't get it. When Abram... So that's his name. I'm going to get into a name in just a moment. Was 99 years old. So did did, did anybody wake up feeling rickety today? Just a little cold? It was a little too cold this morning. You got out at 6 a.m. and like just every joint hurt. Just get out. And, and you think you're dried up and God's already done with you? Brothers and sisters, 99. <laughs> Nine, re, 99? Really? Alright. Uh, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'm the God Almighty. You know what that's him saying? There ain't stuff I can't do. Walk before me and be blameless. He calls him to walk that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Multiplication is the point. Now look, then Abram fell on his face. I love that. God says, come walk with me. Like, all right, and that falls on his face. What does walking with God look like? Walking with God looks like falling on your face a lot. You'll get that when you grow up in Christ. Alright, okay. So, (laughs) come walk with me. Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. This is why we sing Father Abraham. No longer shall your name, he changes Abraham's name, no longer shall your name be called Abram. There's something going on here in Hebrew, and I've taught this before, but a lot of you are new, so I want to come back to it. So that your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you... The father of a multitude of nations. The transformation of Abraham was for the nations. It wasn't for him. You you see the nations here in view. Everything he's doing here with Abraham has the nations in view. Uh, So let's answer the question with Shakespeare, what is in a name? Okay, go to the next slide. Abram, that's his name in Hebrew. Now in Hebrew, you read uh, right to left where we read left to right, so Abram is left to right. The first letter there that looks like, kind of like an X is it called an Aleph. So the, the text in Hebrew is like pictograms or pictorial language. So Aleph is the first letter which we actually get the letter A from, which leads our alphabet. We get the word alphabet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey. That's the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet is actually where we get the word alphabet from. Aleph leads off. So that X used to kind of look like an ox, you know, and if you kind of squint your eyes, you know, if your kid was drawing it, you're like, hey, I drew an ox. You're like, oh, yeah, you did great. Um, so the Aleph was the leader. So there's things that are built into his name simply by the letters that compose it. So Abram means like great father, Avram, like or leader or le- leader, father of one. So even in his name is this idea is concept of God calling to be a leader. A great father and then you see that he's put the hey that symbol that's in red there into his name when he changes his name he literally only adds one hebrew letter okay sarah likewise a princess is made sarah which is like mother of many when you when you abram great father into go to the next slide it'll actually explain this better than i'm doing So this is kind of like, when you you study Hebrew, this is kind of what you get into. And so this is what's happening. Jehovah is a terrible thing, but Yahweh, Vavheh, God's unpronounceable name, has the same letter. Hey, you see that kind of looking like a, a, a seven with a dash. All right. Abraham, Sarah. This is exactly how it's, and so if you read the Hebrew text, this is what it looked like. Go to the next one. So his first name, exalted father, there's a couple range there, father of one. He puts this letter in, he becomes the father of nations or the father of many. The box at the end of his name is basically many or a house or like a lot, multitude or a bunch of people. And Sarah, the same way. This letter in Hebrew represents the Holy Spirit. It looks like a sheet in the wind, kind of. So it's the idea of like God's wind or breath. So when in the book of Acts, like the Holy Spirit falls and it was like a mighty rushing wind. It's that letter in Hebrew. It's this picture of God's Holy Spirit, his Ruach HaKadesh, enters into Abraham and Sarah. and he, This is the picture. He's like, listen, you're the father of one, but because the Holy Spirit's going to come in, I'm going to make you the father of a multitude. Now tell me how missions is only in the New Testament. He breathed the spirit into him. Okay, go to the next one. So, Genesis 22. Flip over in your Bible. I haven't made my point yet. So let's get there. I'm going to warn you as you flip. The sermon's going to be a bit anticlimactic. So you got that to look forward to. Genesis 22. Um, and I'm going to start, let me read all of it. Start in verse 1. And these things God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Now pause. Say you walked in here, you're an atheist, you've never played with the Bible. Doesn't that kind of sound like something? Your only son whom you love? Like, you may not know much about Christianity, but we're kind of about this whole son thing. Only begotten, loved. Okay, so just right there, we might, be, we might be stepping in something and maybe you can smell it, all right? Whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. Many scholars will say this is exactly where Gogotha is, but that's for another sermon. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Burnt offerings was when the offering was consumed by fire as though, like, say, one descended into hell or something. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, "'Stay here with the donkey.'" I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So Abraham, possibly in this, already understands that even if his son is sacrificed, God will raise him from the dead and bring him back. Which is kind of like this thing that we get into in Christianity called the resurrection. But I digress. And I love that it's about worship. Can't get into all that until next week. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. I I don't want to do any spoilers alert for the cross of Christ. But Isaac, as a prototype, was a son who carried the wood to his own sacrifice. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went... Both of them went together, and Isaac said to his father, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb uh, for a burnt offering? He's he's pretty sharp. He just realized, Hey, uh, there's something missing here. Um, Pretty critical. I don't know what kind of trauma and relationship they had after this, but uh, it's going on. Notice here that he is a lamb. First thing John said when he saw Jesus is, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This story is not about Isaac, and it is not about Abraham. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And boy, did he ever. And so they went, both of them together. Verse 9, and they came to the place of which God told them. And Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This story is about a withheld son, because God is going to send his only son, whom he loves, and he is not going to withhold him. He is going to give his son for the salvation of the world. This is a promised son. And Jesus is what the Old Testament is going to say is the promised son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horn. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is the whole Old Testament. There is a sacrifice that is not the son. That is a picture of the son that is to come. It's not this, but it will be, instead of the sun. That's the Old Testament sacrificial law. Instead of the sun, instead of the sun, instead of the sun. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Because God provided us Jesus. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And one day on Mount Golgotha, he provided Jesus I say, I don't even want to teach that. I'm trying to get to the end of this, but there's too much gospel here, y'all. And doesn't that frustrate you? I feel like I've heard this story a thousand times, and I never knew Jesus was so saturated in this text. Or the fact that the nations are going to be in view of it. Look at verse 15, and that's where this picks up. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. He said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. That's a weird begotten only language. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. You Tonight when we have very little light pollution or whatever and hopefully there's no clouds, you want to get a picture of what the singing in heaven will look like? Go out in the perfectly black sky. Look up in the heavens, and when you see the stars, you see the church. And as the sand on the seashore, next time you take your vacay, where's the Fleener's at? Robertson's. You guys, I'm watching y'all close. Um, You go to that beautiful beach. You just just roll your hand through the sand, and you're looking at the church. Sand on a seashore. This is one old dude. God just speaking to him. Stars, sand, and your offspring shall possess the enemy or the gate of his enemies. Doesn't that sound what I taught you in Mark that the gates of hell will not prevail? It's exactly the same teaching. And in your offspring, this is a singular offspring. This is not the Jewish people. This is not a plurality of people. The word in Hebrew is singular seed. In your one seed, Jesus, who is going to descend through your... This is King James language. uh, The gates aren't here anymore. Your loins, right? Your singular seed through your Through your offspring, one, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Some of you are going to go Because of a descendant of Abraham, Jesus, and nations are going to be blessed because you're going to preach the gospel to them. Nations of the earth. The story of the sacrifice of Isaac doesn't stop with the boy and his father, it goes all the way to the nations because you've obeyed my voice. Because you obeyed my voice. All the nations of the earth. Because of one singular seed, Jesus. All the nations of the earth are blessed. Do you believe that when the church goes on missions, we go on missions for the joy and blessing of nations that don't know Him? We go to stir their joy in worship that they currently are giving to idols. Now, I, I, I want to finish the, these texts because the New Testament finishes these. So I want to look at two passages really quick and then I'm going to let it kind of hit like a thump and we'll see what happens. Go to the next passage. Turn in Galatians chapter 3, 5-9. through nine. We've talked through the book of Galatians. This should be familiar to you. So I'm not going to tarry here long. But you want to know how let the Bible interpret the Bible, the Scripture interpret the Scripture. Galatians 3. Does he who supplies a spirit, speaking of God to you, and works miracles among you, do so by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Right? Which, if they're going to have faith in here, someone's got to preach to them. That's uh, Romans chapter 10. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that those of faith that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It's not the blood in a Jew's veins that makes him a son of Abraham. It's the faith like Abraham in his heart. Thus, stars in the sky. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. This is exactly, is this not what we've just been studying. So then, those that are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Turn to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude... What does that sound like? That sounds like everything God promised to Abraham. That no one could number. Hey, while you're out there looking at those stars, just go ahead and count them off. From every, and this is where we we get some parameters for our mission. Nation from all tribes and peoples and languages. This is where we get the idea of people groups. Or ethno linguistic groups standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Have we heard that language of Lamb? Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God. Austin, we got to sing that song, right? Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they, like Abraham, fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen. Look at that word, blessing. We are blessed by God and we return that blessing toward God and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever, and amen. So here's the thing. Abraham gets the gospel beforehand, the promise, and God tears back the curtain of revelation and shows its consummation. And let me tell you where you're at. You're right here in the middle. Between the promise and the fulfillment. You live between Genesis 12, 17, and 22 in Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 12. That's where you're living. That's where you're going to live until God calls you home. That's, that's the rest of your days is between those two passages. So you asked me this. So what did the coming of Jesus and, the, and even for my Pentecostal charismatic brothers and sisters who snuck in here and trying to stay quiet during worship... So the charismatic people in here so what what is the following of the Holy Spirit? Pentecost, and what is all of that thing? This would be my take, and I'll, I'll give you this. What did that mean? I think that's a fair question. I think it's one thing we got to say is that, cover to cover, God's got one people of the Bible. He's got a bride, not a harem. He brings Jew and Gentile together into the people of God. Otherwise, the preaching of Jonah to Nineveh, or Nahum, or Rahab, who's actually in the lineage of Jesus, makes no sense because those are all Gentiles. He has won people of God, Old Testament, New Testament. Well, what did his coming and the fall of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost do that wasn't already happening? Well, I'd say this. Missions has always been the game. But Jesus coming, as we talked about the festivals two weeks ago, seems to be God coming and making halftime adjustments. Making some winning moves that guarantee the completion. He came into something that was already in motion and he clarified it because, as we saw earlier, the Pharisees had hijacked it. He made it laser beam focused, he took it up a notch, he unleashed it to another level, he enabled it with more power in the Holy Spirit than what was afforded the saints of the Old Testament. And what he brought was not something that was altogether new, but it was altogether improved. He turned the tide. He took it next level. He made the mission of God unquestionably unstoppable. So yeah, he did a little something-something. So all that to say, I've now laid out a bunch of Bible to you. Here's the anticlimactic part. So what? Like, so what? Cool, Abraham got a Hebrew letter in his name. God promised it. God's going to... I'm going to work on Monday. So what? Here's the so what. God has a mission and you have a role. God's got a mission and you have a role, a field operation tailor suited to you that begins in Bayfield and does not stop until the ends of the earth are reached with the gospel. I find people that have come to me throughout my whole ministry worried about what their gifting is. They've come to me saying, I just don't know how I'm gifted by the whole, I mean, I'm kind of good at this. I'm willing to serve in nursery. You know what I mean? I, like, I just don't know what my thing is. You know, I ain't trying to get up there to preach, for real. But, like, I just don't know who I am in the kingdom. I've read 1 Corinthians. I took a Myers-Briggs test. I took a personality test. I took a spiritual gift test. And I still don't know. So let me answer this question in one sense. There are things about your gifting and calling... That you only find in community. As we are going together into the harvest. As long as you are standing outside the game. In the bleachers. You will never have it revealed to you. Your best fit on a team. That is sacrificing out on the field. You cannot sit on the fringes. Saying God show me how I'm gifted. And like. Figure it all out for me. You, like Abraham, have to take the step of faith with other believers in community toward the harvest that is most readily available to you. And in that moment, as you begin to labor, I find God just reveals who He is. He shows you how you best fit on the team and you make the most use for the kingdom. But you... If you want to stay confused about who you are in the kingdom, then remain disengaged from missions. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And make yourself minimally available for God to use. And I promise you, you'll spend the rest of your your life chasing your tail confused about how you fit in the kingdom of God. But you come with your yes ready like Abraham did, and say, God, I don't know. I know you're calling me to leave this and to go this, and I don't know what that'll mean, but I'm in. If you do that and you take a step in that direction, I promise you God will reveal to you not only who you are, He'll reveal to you who He is. In depths and ways you wouldn't know otherwise. Okay. So, I've got... Here's the, so let me give you some steps let 's go real practical here let 's take some steps first thing my first encouragement to you as a pastor of okay, so what my first practical steps to you is begin now to pray. there are prayer books on the back that will get you knowledge give you knowledge about unreached people groups around the earth. begin to pray for our existing missionaries and the people that are there. begin praying. I do not want anybody finishing Missions Month without asking the question whether God is calling you to go somewhere else to do this kind of work. Nobody makes it out of this month without taking the call of God to the nations seriously. And if God tells you to stay here and continue to evangelize the liberals of Durango, praise God, I'm going to celebrate with you. And if God says, hey, Get your butt. You've got to go Some I'm moving you somewhere else. I'm going to celebrate that with you. And we're going to do our bells to help you get there. Amen? But here's the thing. You pray. You ask. And I have seen people. You say, I'm too old for all that. I have seen people in their 80s in my church up and move to a foreign country and use the twilight years of their their lives for the kingdom. There is no one too old to pray this prayer. And I don't know about the young people we got in here. Nobody's too young now to be considering that this may be one of our children's call on their lives. So I say, one, begin to pray. The second thing is, start here. I seriously, this is me, doubt that God's going to call you cross culturally to Kazakhstan to do something that you're not doing in Ignacio. Like, if you're not sharing the gospel here, where you already have the language and the connections, y'all tripping thinking that you are prepared to go somewhere else and do it. So my first encouragement is, start here. Missions, listen, has never been local versus international. The church, when it's doing the Bible, it's never been an either-or. It's always been a both-and. And. We're about the kingdom here and we're about the kingdom everywhere and we do that unapologetically the best we can. So first step, pray, second, maybe start here, start local. Uh, A third thing that I would encourage you to consider is getting involved with what we're doing in Guatemala. We feel that is a runway or a stepping stone to understand what it means to work cross-culturally. We feel it fits with where our church is and what their need is. They are wanting to plant a church there. They have opportunities for you to share the gospel with somebody that has a different operating system than you and a different language. It allows you to meet needs overseas, to understand issues with drinking water. Things that you may not have thought of. If we can get you outside your bubble, here's what I've discovered. If you can get missions in your blood, you'll never scratch it out. You will always be involved with missions. We have been a junkyard collector of former missionaries in this church. And what's, I love, and, and the Bairds, is that these people who have done missions did not stop rallying other people to do missions. They're all in forever. So, my thought about Guatemala is we can go and do in part what we're doing there and it be a stepping stone short-term to what could be for some of you a lifelong calling on your life from God. Get it in your blood. Go and see what the Lord don't do. The next one is this month, if there's ever a month that I as a pastor can twist your arm to do a little bit of research, all right? It's going to be this month. There's three websites, and I want to talk about them. One is finishing the task. We stand in our generation on the edge of finishing the task of every tongue, tribe, and nation. We stand with the wealth, technology, and manpower to potentially finish the task. That website's going to talk about that. Unreached people groups. Unengaged. There is nobody there even sharing the gospel with them. Joshua Project is an incredible amount of information. I'm going to reference it next week. Incredible reference. Where do they live? You want, it'll pull up a map. It'll show you where the unreached people groups are. The best data that we have doesn't mean it's perfect, but the best data we have are on those first two. Take your kids there. Let them mess around with the map. Let them them see the nations. See what God doesn't do to their heart. And the last one is the imb.org. I know that there's only like four of you that are real Baptists in here. You didn't sneak in. It's all of you, okay? This is a Southern Baptist church. We're part of what's called the cooperative program. The cooperative program is is there's like 40, 50, 60,000. God knows how many. They're mostly in Georgia, okay? Southern Baptist churches. And they throw a percentage. Every church chooses to throw a percentage of our total budget to this like this pot. You could choose to give a dollar or ten million dollars. Different churches get different amounts into this pot. That money we use for two main purposes. North American Mission Board, which we'll talk about in the spring, plants churches in North America. That's, that's us reaching our Judea-Samaria area. The other is the IMB or International Mission Board. You as a member of this church are a part of the largest mission organization in the world. We have thousands of missionaries all over the world in all the countries spread throughout the earth. We do not have missionaries in every people group, but we have a ton in countries all over the world, thousands even. And when you give money, when your kid comes up here and throws like, like four quarters in this bucket, right? Part of that money funds mission work in Afghanistan. Isn't that wild? Like, there's a lot of things that Southern Baptists are terrible at. This is not one. The best thing they've ever come up with is this idea that we're stronger together, and we give that money so that any member of a Southern Baptist church that felt led to go... To a country in Asia or Africa or South America, if they are called and qualified, can be fully funded and not have to raise support. Tell me that's not legit. You could go right now on there to their Go section and say, hey, I'm feeling called to go and click on that and begin the application process. They're gonna reach out to you and begin a conversation, they're gonna begin training. They're going to, you know, like if you keep going through that, they're going to train you and prepare you. They're going to put you as a part of a team. They're going to send you there. Our money that we give to our offerings help pay for them to learn the language, pays for their housing, pays for their medical, helps educate their kids, takes care of the family so that they can leverage the gospel among unreached and unengaged people groups. You do that when you give every Sunday. And that's why I'm going to say there is no excuse if you feel called to do this or you wouldn't go there. And maybe just pray. So that's where we're, we're at. Let me finish this off and then we're going to take communion because the Son did carry the wood up and He was given freely as a loved, promised Son who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. And so we're going to take communion, but here's the thing Church, God is already on mission, it's already in motion. And my belief is that some of these unreached, unengaged people groups will become sons and daughters of Abraham by faith just like you because some of you are going to go and some of you are going to send. God's already on mission. He's been on mission in the Old Testament. He will stay on mission until the task is done. And so... I want to, on behalf of the nations, issue the Macedonian call. The Macedonian call was a call that Paul got in the New Testament where he had a dream that a man was waving to him saying, come over and help us. Come help us. Come help us. The calling was to come help. Of course, once he got there, he got to Europe. It wasn't a Macedonian man, it was Lydia. The first European convert was a woman. So on behalf of the nations, and a God who is calling and inviting His people on mission, I want to invite you to come and help in Cambodia, in Kazakhstan, in Zanzibar, in China. I want you to come and help in Europe, in South America, in Guatemala. I want to invite you to come and help to the ends of the earth. Can I pray for you? And then I'm going to invite you to come take communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we enter your courts with thanksgiving and your presence with praise. Because you did not withhold the Son, but you gave him freely. The only begotten Son, who carried his wood up to a hill Golgotha, Gagatha and died as our Lamb. So that you might ransom every nation and every tongue and every tribe and every peoples a bride, for yourself. And so God, we worship you and we praise you. God, I pray if there's one here who is filling the call and conviction to go, that they would stand up like Abraham did and said, here I am. Here I am. And so God, do bigger stuff here in Bayfield than anybody here expects do people group nation changing things through your word. Do it in their hearts in ways I can't. Holy Spirit, have freedom here to convict, to draw, to comfort, to encourage. It's all about you, Lord. we love you in Jesus name. everybody said
1: We are going to partake of communion today. Uh, two weeks ago today, I spoke in Ignacio, you know, and it reminds me, we take a lot for granted with communion being so readily available here. When the, uh, when I got that call, they said, we don't want to dictate to what you preach or what you say, but we haven't had communion since the first of the year. Um, they're a small, struggling church right now, and they just don't have anybody that was supplying that felt comfortable with that. How do you say no to that? <laughs> you know, I was there doing that. Uh, we're going to be reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 29. If you can turn there, I'd appreciate it. But let's set the stage for this uh, when the Lord ordained that Last Supper. Jesus and his 12 disciples met in the upper room uh, during the Passover week. The Corinthians had forgotten when they gathered what the Passover was all about. The way I like to word it is the things that I've read, it was corrupted. We know how Jesus got so upset when he saw the money changing going on and the things that were happening. they taken that tradition, that celebration of the people being exodus, the exodus out of Egypt, and they totally forgot what the meaning was. Hours before his crucifixion, the Lord's, he initiated the Lord's Supper. At that church in Ignacio, I actually just went through the whole week before the crucifixion that led to this last supper. Let's turn, turn to those verses then and... Chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. There's, there's specific things that are here, and we've addressed these in the past. But this is an ordinance. This is a commandment from our Lord to do this. We do this as an act of obedience. You know, it's a, one of the two ordinances we, we, have, we honor in this church. It's an act, act of thanksgiving. We're thankful for the salvation that we have through God's Son, Jesus Christ. It's an act of representation. Jesus gave His life for all people. It's an act of examination. Something that I think that we probably do far too little of. We don't really examine ourselves. Are we worthy to partake of this? And then, in a roundabout way, we say also that it's for believers. Parents, make sure that you're in a position where you're talking openly with your children. If they're not at that age where they've accepted Christ in their life, the word says they should not partake of this. Uh, This can be a time for open discussion during this. Have that conversation if it's necessary. Act of proclamation. We're proclaiming that Christ is our Savior. And then the final thing is an act of of, uh, anticipation. Christ will return soon. As Colby just pointed out, a lot of those stages are here as we reach more and more of the world. It's pointing to the fact that the end times are closer all the time. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to partake of this ordinance. Father, we thank you for these elements that represent the life that was given, both the body and the blood, for our salvation. We pray we do these things in in your son's name, Father. Amen. Come now and take of the uh, take the elements, and then we'll take those when you get back to your pew. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Take eat in remembrance of me. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. Later that evening, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. We're familiar with the story. When I reread this in preparation for the sermon in Ignacio, my uncle had reminded me of something that I hadn't even really taken into account. With the disciples falling asleep, Jesus in agony. Let's read um, Luke 22, verses 41 through uh, 44. And he was withdrawn from from about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Even the Son of God needed help. He needed that angel to strengthen him to get through what he was going through. It's just an amazing account.
0: Amen. Thank you, Dennis. Um, as we sing this uh, next song, last closing song, and um, hopefully it's familiar to you, it comes out of the book of Revelation uh, right around 21 or twenty. 20-